Let's uh, have a word of prayer as we get started um, that the Lord would speak to us. Father, we thank you for these moments that we've already enjoyed in your presence. And I pray now that in a special way you would sanctify us, you would set us apart from the busyness of life and from all the challenges to hear the voice of your Holy Spirit and to drink deeply of your word. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I pray that every heart would be encouraged, that every heart would hear your voice to them. And Lord, we would move forward in our most holy faith. We thank you for saving us, Lord. We thank you for filling us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for causing us to reside in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We thank you for this church, all the churches of this city. We pray for this morning's offerings and worship and preaching to be pleasing to you, Lord. May you be enthroned on high afresh. May you be pleased. May you be glorified. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to speak uh, to you this morning on the subject of standing in the Lord, what it takes to stand in the Lord, because as most of you know who've walked with the Lord for a time, to survive spiritually, you have to learn to stand in the Lord. And indeed, there are many exhortations to stand, aren't there? I think uh, immediately of 1 Corinthians 16, 13, that says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Probably the passage that most of us think of is Ephesians 6 where it starts in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore. And then a very encouraging verse that is a little less um, familiar is the last, uh, or excuse me, verses 24 and 25 of the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Isn't that a comforting verse that it's the Lord who is able to make us stand? I was thinking about that verse and thinking about the comfort of that he is able to make us stand, and I thought, yes, he is able, but it's not automatic. 
is it? It's not as though we get saved and immediately we are able to stand. We have to enter the Lord's school of discipleship, if you will. And standing becomes a compulsory course, not an elective. I suspect the Lord rejoices over us as we learn to stand, just like uh, new parents rejoice, and I'll say grandparents too, uh, over a newborn who is learning to stand up and walk. Picture this with me, if you will, a mother holding her newborn, and the first thing that, or one of the first things that newborn learns to do is to hold its head up. I call this the bobblehead stage, where the little boy or little girl is making a thousand little adjustments to hold their head uh, up independently. Then one day you're, you're holding them, maybe on the kitchen table, they're lying on the kitchen table, that seems to be the case in our house, and all of a sudden the baby, you see it trying to roll over, and then all of a sudden one day it does roll over and everyone claps and rejoices so excitedly. Then the next thing is it hoists itself up to a crawl position, but it's not quite sure what to do once it gets there, and so it just rocks back and forth with that big diapered rump, you know, just kind of moving back and forth. And then one day it starts to scoot, and that's really fun because usually there's an uncooperative leg being dragged along behind. But then all of a sudden that baby is nowhere to be found because they're crawling so fast, and you're wondering, where is that little guy or where is that little girl? Then they start hanging on to a chair and standing with support. Then they start standing without support. I call this the surfboard stage, where they're kind of like, whoa. Uh, and, uh, but they're standing, and then they, boom, down on their bottom, and then up again they come. Then they're walking a few steps. Again, oh, how parents get so excited about those first few steps. And then mom and dad sit on the floor, maybe six, eight feet apart, and the child runs from one to the other. We might call this the happy drunken sailor stage, <laughs> where they lead with their bellies, kind of like me in these days. Then they become a toddler, and it seems like toddlers stay toddlers for quite a while. But eventually they become preteens. And the thing about. <laughs> The thing about preteens to me is their legs are like matchsticks. I call this the matchstick legged stage, where uh, they're just thin. They're just long, lanky, bony legs. But then in adolescence, they muscle up, maybe an athlete, and, it's, and their legs are, are sometimes very impressive. But then the scriptures say, as the scriptures say, we go on to mature manhood where the glory is no longer in the strength of a person's legs, but in the strength of their spirit. Amen? A strength that knows itself, knows its Lord, and is equipped and backs up before no man. This is what God is doing with us in his school of standing. As Jude says, to make us stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. The title of this message is, Take Your Stand 
in the Lord. Take your stand in the Lord. And I want to look at seven ways we can do that. And I would ask you as we march through these seven ways of standing in the Lord that you would, that you would be asking the Holy Spirit to apply one or more of these to your life. See if he would speak to you as we go through these. You might want to jot it down if one speaks to your heart, um, as we'll have some prayer at the end. Well, the first way to stand is to stand up. Uh, Stand up on the inside. I remember uh, going to ORU and listening to President Oral Roberts speak in chapel many times. And one of his life messages was about standing up on the inside, about not not, um, continuing to be bowed down, not continuing to be discouraged or in despair, but to stand up on the inside. In those years, uh, one of my favorite verses became John 1.12, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gives what? power to become the children of God. When I received Christ, I've told you before that I felt him come in. I felt him forgive me of my sin, and that weight of sin was lifted. But I have to say that it took me longer than just a few days to get over the shame of sin and that position of being bowed down on the inside. President Roberts used to say, God will meet you at the point of your need. And for me, that was the point of my shame, the shame of the sins and the way that I had been. David said, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Paul said, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even examine myself, for there is one who examines me. Let's wait until the Lord comes. I especially like Psalm 3.3 where David said, the Lord is my refuge. He's the glory and the lifter of my head like that newborn baby that's getting its head solid and able to stand. This is who we are now. 1 Peter 2.9, after we throw out these internal judges that we create for ourselves that condemn us and can, you know, uh, speak words of condemnation and condition us for defeat, Peter writes, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, that's not bowed down, is it? That's not a position of despair. That is a position of victory. So perhaps you've been conditioned for defeat when in fact you are destined for victory. Perhaps the great professor is in today teaching your heart to stand up 
in the Lord. The second um, way to stand is to actually do what initially sounds like the opposite. Stand down. Stand down, brother and sister. By this I mean stand against the pride in your life that continually wants to raise its ugly head. How we struggle with pride, don't we? I'm not seeing any yeses out there. All right. Let me try that again. How we struggle with pride, don't we? Yes. You might remember that in Isaiah chapter 14, that through a hermeneutical device called apostrophe, that the Lord describes why Satan was thrown out of heaven. Starting in verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. For you said in your heart, listen to the pride of these statements, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. God hates pride, doesn't he? We read in uh, Proverbs 6, verse 16, six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. And what's the first one? Haughty eyes. Haughty is another word for proud. Proud eyes. In James, we read that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you at the proper time. We need to be dressed down sometimes. We need to be dressed down. I have a clip from the film called Gettysburg, where Robert E. Lee is dressing down Jeb Stewart, one of his commanders, on the second or third day, just before the third day of the Battle of Gettysburg, as an example of being dressed down. Wish to see, sir. You have been on some excellent officers. You have left all down. Then we'll leave a few pieces to me. Who the gentlemen are? There will be that. No time, sir. I only ask that I be allowed to defend my. There's no time. General Wood. Your mission was to feed this army from the enemy cavalry and to support any move by the enemy's body. Mission was fulfilled. You left here. We know where your movement or one of the MFS days. Meanwhile, we're engaged in drawing the battle without adequate knowledge. The yeah, enemy's strength or position are not working. So it is on guard. I remember the uh, first day that I went into uh, the elders to participate in an elders meeting. This was in 1986. And um, I was so excited. It was, it was my first elders meeting. And... Uh, that was back when Bill Sanders, the founding pastor, was here, and Chuck Farah, and Jim was here, and several others. And I walked in, and 
was looking for a chair to sit in, and there was this really comfortable-looking chair with a Bible on it. And so I walked over, and I picked the Bible up and put it on the coffee table and promptly sat down. A few minutes later, uh, Pastor Bill Sanders walked in, and he uh, just kind of looked at me sitting in that chair, and he said, where's my Bible? And immediately I realized what I'd done. I'd taken the founding pastor's chair the first day on the job. And so I jumped up and I handed him his Bible and I went and sat purposefully in the most uncomfortable chair I could find in the room. But in my mind, I was embarrassed. And I thought, isn't there a scripture about this? And sure enough, I would like to read that scripture to you. This is from uh, Luke 14, 7 through 11. Luke 14, 7 through 11. It's called the parable of the ambitious guest. He began speaking a parable to the, uninvited, or to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall, uh, shall come and say to you, give place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. I want to tell you that uh, I have not graduated from that chair uh, I've been sitting in that chair for 27 years, and uh, I don't want any of you to try to fix it, because uh, I don't think the Lord's done with me uh, kind of teaching that lesson. So um, sometimes we need to stand down, amen? Sometimes we need to be humbled. Is today's lecture for you about standing down? If pride is rearing its head, I would encourage you when we pray to stand and be prayed for. A third way to stand is to stand aside, to stand aside. And by that I mean that we need help dying to self, don't we? We need help continually dying to self. In Luke 9, uh, 23 and 24, we read, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Most of you know that my son Nathaniel is on a cross Canada kayak trip. He has gone so far from Montreal to Lake Winnipeg. It's about 1,500 miles. He says his kayak has two speeds, slow and stopped. Um, but I'm very proud of him. Uh, he um, has only been rescued by a helicopter two times. 
And um, the day he started out, he called and said, Dad, after two and a half hours, I want to let you know I found myself in an ambulance. Someone had called. He was having trouble, and he was in an ambulance. But um, the first call from the distress people, search and rescue people, to my house came on Mother's Day of this year. It was, it was in May, um, and uh, they called, and the phone rang. It was about 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, they said, yeah, this is the uh, search and rescue people. Um, we've had a distress signal from uh, someone you m must know. Um, can you describe him for us? And so I described Nathaniel and his kayak, and of course, began to pray. And um, he, I said, will you call me when, when you know something? And he said, I'll do my best, no guarantees. But 20 minutes later, the guy called back and said, yeah, they're plucking him out of the water now. And I thought, that is so strange. I mean, he knows how to roll, you know, how is he going to be in trouble in the water? He's got a dry suit to keep him somewhat warm in the frigid water. So I just couldn't figure it out. Well, about four days later, we get an email from his girlfriend who said, here's the story. Um, he was on an island windbound, and another kayaker paddled up. And while they visited, um, the wind really picked up, and it was terribly windy. And after a while, the other kayaker said, well, I'm going to go. And Nathaniel said, man, don't go out there. It is too crazy. You'll, you'll swamp for sure. And he said, oh, I haven't swamped since uh, 1984. And so he gets in his kayak and heads out. And uh, sure enough, the wind picked his kayak up and just slammed him uh, head down into the water. And so Nathaniel thought, if I go out there, the same thing's going to happen to me. Um, so he hit his distress button. And so it wasn't even Nathaniel who was being rescued. It was this other guy. And I was so proud of Nathaniel for, you know, doing that, for hitting his button for someone else. And here I'd been worried about him, and it wasn't even, I thought, he's making good decisions. Well, then I was with him this July. And he said, well, Dad, that really isn't the whole story. <laughs> he said, uh, I did hit the distress button, but then I got on my gear, and I went out there to help him because I, I thought he was dying. Uh, and the reason is because the water is so cold. You can only survive you know, 45 minutes to an hour in that water. And I said, son, what did you do that for? Here I thought you were making good decisions. And he said, what did you want me to do? Let him drown? I had to try. And then I was even more proud of him. Putting aside his own safety. And he did get flipped. And the helicopter ended up rescuing both of them. Uh, the other guy went to the hospital. But Nathaniel had only been in the water about 10 minutes. So he was OK. You may have heard about the three friends here in Tulsa uh, last week who drowned. One uh, went into the low water dam area and, and uh, went down and 
came up one time, I heard. Um, and so his friend jumped in to try to save him, and he never came up. And then the third man, I guess, was trying to throw a line to his other two friends, and he slipped and went in and drowned as well. Tragic, but at the same time, I think about how those, the, those four words are in my mind. I had to try. I had to try. Putting ourselves aside, if ever called upon, will we pass the test? Remember, dying to self is not automatic. It's not automatic. It needs to be practiced. Perhaps you want to say to the Lord, I, I think I need some special tutoring after class in this one, Lord, how to stand aside. So we've looked at standing up, standing down, standing aside, and now I want to talk about number four, which is standing apart. Standing apart. And what I mean by standing apart is separating yourself from the world. Separating yourself from the world. Let me read a passage to you that you probably remember from 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. When Esther was, my daughter Esther was in her junior year at Wheaton College, she um, had an opportunity to go to Ethiopia and live with a Christian family in a Christian community for uh, six months. And uh, while she was there, her family, which was a very godly family, um, and the community of people that she hung out with, asked her lots of questions about comparing uh, behaviors among Western Christians with their behaviors in Africa. And uh, so they asked her, Esther, do you play cards? And she said, oh, yes, I play cards. And they asked her, um, well, do you listen to secular music? And she said, oh, yes, I listen to secular music. And they said, well, do you dance? And she said, yeah, I dance. I like to dance. And on and on it went. And uh, their follow-up question was, well, then how do, how do people who aren't believers see that you are a believer? Now, you and I know those things are not evil in and of themselves. Nevertheless, their question rang in Esther's spirit uh, as she came home from Ethiopia. How do, how do I separate myself 
in a way that the world can see that separation. And uh, she came back really pondering, uh, if my life looks in every way like an unbeliever's life, how am I salt and light in this world? And we can go down paths of our thinking about how we present ourselves and our gentle spirits and so on. But you see, you see what I'm, the point that I'm raising and she was wrestling with. In the Old Testament, we read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In the life of a disciple, I think you'll agree with me that there is a leaving, there is a cutting off that needs to take place. There is a separating and a separation that the Holy Spirit within us begins to convict us about bad thoughts and about bad behaviors and about bad friends that we need to leave behind and addictions and obsessions and sinful habits. I don't know about you, but I think on a scale of 1 to 10, as an, as an addictive personality, I think I'm somewhere between 5 and 10. I'm not on the lower end. I, I'm one of those that uh, could easily um, let myself go into one addiction or another. And therefore, I am really thankful for 1 Corinthians 6.12, where Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but this is, the, this is the line I love. But I will not be enslaved to anything. I will not be enslaved to anything. Porn, TV, food, smoking, drinking, whatever. We need to have that militancy inside ourselves along with the grace and power of the Holy Spirit that says, I refuse to be enslaved to anything. Perhaps this is the class that you're in this morning. There's a need to take a stand against a behavior or an obsession or a friendship. You want to determine, I will come out and I will be separate as the Lord demands. The fifth type of standing is standing alone. Stand alone. Mark it down. God will test you in your human relationships. He will ask you at some point in your Christian walk to stand alone. Anybody, can anybody say amen to that? He will ask us to stand alone. It's necessary for the making of a man and a woman of God. And there's pain in standing alone, isn't there? I remember talking to a young man in basic uh, some years ago over coffee whose family was exploding. The father was leaving the mother. Um, his, his brothers were not walking with the Lord. And he alone had determined that he would walk with the Lord. 
And I said to him, I see you standing alone, and the Lord is proud of you. And he just burst into tears at that moment. Whether it's David strengthening himself in the Lord, or Moses taking, turning his back on his Egyptian upbringing, or Job standing by his convictions as his friends interrogate and judge him, we must learn to stand alone. Here's a nice quote from Oswald Chambers on this subject. He says, a servant of God must stand so much alone that he never knows he is alone. In the first phases of Christian life, disheartenments come. People who used to be lights flicker out, and those who used to stand with us pass away. We have to get so used to it that we never know we are standing alone. Paul wrote to Timothy, all men forsook me, notwithstanding the Lord who stood with me. We must build our faith, not on the fading light, but on the light that never fails. When quote unquote big men go, we are sad until we see that they are meant to go. And the one thing that remains is looking in the face of God for ourselves. We have to learn to stand alone. I think it's in the process of standing alone that our identities are truly forged to be uh, in Christ alone, to put our faith and our hope in Christ alone. It takes that time of being alone and trusting only in him. The sixth way to stand is to stand firm. Stand firm. And I want to read from Hebrews here, chapter 10. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. You might remember from Fox's Book of Martyrs or DC Talks' book, The Jesus, Jesus Freaks, the story of the 40 Roman soldiers. How many of you remember that story? What a tremendous story of, of these uh, uh, thundering legionnaires. They were an elite group of uh, legionnaires, Roman, Roman soldiers, who were Christians at the time of Licinius. And Licinius was an emperor who uh, sent out an edict that all his subjects should make a sacrifice to him and worship him as a god. And these soldiers, of course, would not bow. Here's an account of this marvelous fact of history. This was, the year was AD 320. It was in a place called Sevast in present-day Turkey. There was a governor named Agricola who was trying to get these legionnaires to sacrifice by the order of Emperor Licinius. 
But they said several things. They said, we will not sacrifice. To do so is to betray our holy faith. They kept pressing and pressing, and one of the soldiers said, disgrace the name of our Lord Jesus would be more terrible uh, than disgracing our, our fellow soldiers. The soldiers stood firm. They knew the governor would carry out his threat of punishment, but they said nothing you can offer us would replace what we would lose in the next world. As for your threats, we've learned to deny our bodies where the welfare of our souls is at stake. And so Agricola ordered them flogged. And these were the type of floggings that had the metal in the ends of the, of the uh, whips. Then they were dragged to his dungeon and chained for a few days. And then Agricola got this idea, let's send them out on the pond overnight and see if the cold will cause them to recant. To his surprise, the rebels, when they heard this, began stripping off their own clothes and running toward the pond in the freezing March air. We are soldiers of the Lord and fear no hardship, shouted one. What is the death but entrance? What is our death but entrance into eternal life? And so they sang through the night, and uh, the soldiers on the shore could hear, hear prayers. One of them was... Um, Lord, there are 40 of us engaged in this battle. Grant that 40 may be crowned and not one missing from this sacred number. One of the soldiers on shore, they made warm baths on, uh, on the shore to entice the soldiers to give up and to come enjoy the warm bath. Um, at one point, one of the soldiers standing guard by the bathtubs saw a supernatural light saw crowns and angels with robes uh, in the spirit handing them to these 40. About that time, one of the 40 did uh, give up and, and come to the baths. Um, but as he did that, the one who had seen the supernatural light ripped off his clothes and said, I'll go be the 40th soldier and received Christ in that way. Now, you might wonder, is this story just a nice Christian uh, sort of urban legend, if you will? But I looked hard to find evidence of anybody questioning this story. And there was nobody questioning this story. Um, Gregory of Nyssa wrote about this and preached on it in the 300s. Basil the Great, Bishop of Caesarea, did the same. And Ephraim the Syrian Whole churches, chapels, and cathedrals have been dedicated to these 40 in the east. And even the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem has a chapel dedicated to them. Maybe you are in a position where you are standing firm in the face of some adversity, some trial, some sickness, some persecution or some temptation, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart that he wants to strengthen you and help you to stand firm as well. We want to say with you, stand firm, therefore, and having done all, stand. The last one is to stand 
front and center. Stand front and center. For some of us, it's time to step up to the plate and to say to the Lord and to us as your witness that I want to say to the Lord, here am I, use me. Here am I, send me. Here am I, I am ready to stand front and center. Dave and Patty Eland have a son named John. You might remember John running around in the halls of this church. Uh, John was in basic, and he was part of a Sunday, uh, excuse me, a Saturday morning discipleship group at my house. And John was saying, um, I want to preach. I want to preach. He's a junior in high school. And uh, so I said, well, John, I, I know the uh, head of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Jenks. How about if I try to get you a chance to speak in front of your high school? And John got this look on his face that was a mixture of fear and excitement. And uh, he said, yeah, do it. And so um, somehow God opened the, the doors and we were able to get John a speaking engagement in front of the entire 10th, 11th, and 12th grade at Jenks High School. Uh, several hundred kids in the gymnasium. And I remember we brought in the Jesus in... Um, drama team. Uh, they did a few skits. And then John stood before his classmates, not as a senior, but as a junior, and preached the gospel. And uh, I was so proud of John and just thinking, John, you are a marked man. You are standing front and center. And I'm so proud and so excited to see what God is going to do with you. Is God calling you to take responsibility for the gospel? To step up, to lead, to shoulder the load, to shoulder his load, to be in the yoke with him in a way that maybe you never have before. Sometimes when I'm praying for the church, I want to cry out, where are the young men who will pastor the flock of God, who will devote their lives to the bride of Christ. You know, Jim told me one time that in seminaries today, more and more men are going into the counseling field. Very few are going into seminary with the, the idea of, I am going to be trained to preach the gospel and to care for the people of God with that single-hearted devotion. I shouldn't say very few, but fewer than in the past. And uh, we need to pray that God will bring or cultivate the young men and the women who will fully dedicate themselves to Christ and His precious bride here at TCF as well as around the world. So let me read them to you again, and while I'm doing that, I'm going to ask a few brothers to come up here and, and help me pray through these. Um, the first one is to um, stand up. The second one, that means standing up on the inside. The second one is to stand down. 
That means to ask the Lord for help to crucify the pride in your life if it's, if it's very active right now. Um, the next one is to stand aside. You want to ask God to help you die to self more than you've been able to in the past. The next one is stand apart. That means to separate further from the world and from sinful habits. The next one is to stand alone. To stand alone and have your identity fully melded to Christ alone. The next one is to stand firm. You're facing some adversity, some trial, some sickness, and you, you just need God to help you stand your ground. And then the last one is to stand front and center. I've asked Jim to come help me pray, and Joel, if you'd come up now, and Mike. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to just ask if anyone wants, we're going to just kind of take them one at a time, and if you'd like to ask the Lord for help in these areas as we pray over them, come on up, you guys, up here. And Jerry will need this mic. Uh, I want you to either stand where you are or if you'd like to come forward and maybe have one of the elders pray for you, that'd be fine too, okay? So the first one I'm going to pray for who wants to stand up. So if you've been discouraged inside, if you've been downcast, if you've felt defeated, and you would like to ask God for a gift of faith, I'd like to pray for you right now. So would you stand, any who are in that boat, downcast, discouraged, dispirited, worn out, ashamed, and you want help to stand up on the inside? Brothers, would you pray for me? Heavenly Father, those of you that are around you might want to lay hands on these and, and uh, be a blessing to them, okay? Father, we thank you for these that are standing who need a special touch of your grace and your comfort. And so, first of all, Lord, I want to ask for your great comfort. Lord, that you would comfort these who feel dispirited, and discouraged. Comfort them, Lord. And then we pray, Father, for a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit, a girding up, Lord, a strengthening and a fortification that is new and invigorating and powerful. Thank you, Father, that you are the glory and the lifter of our heads. Thank you, Father, that when we receive you and believe in your name, you give us power to become children of God. Thank you for that quickening, Lord, of your Holy Spirit, and we pray that for them now. We pray for a removal of shame, a removal of guilt, a removal of despair, and we pray for the gift of faith and power. Hallelujah, Lord. We say to these that are standing, be strong in the Lord Amen. and in the strength of his might. Lord, we, we claim that verse that these can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens them. And now we entrust them to you, Lord, in a special way to impart your encouragement and your power in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. May you be blessed and strengthened in the name of the Lord. Now we're going to pray for those who are fighting pride and, and uh, there's a need to get aggressive uh, with the pride in your life. Don't be embarrassed. We all go through these seasons uh, where the old man rears its ugly head. And so if you'd like prayer to uh, make better ground in conquering pride, would you please stand? Uh, Jim Garrett's going to pray for this one. Father God, we acknowledge that none of us can say, I have no problem with pride. And Lord, it is our heart for pride that wants to sit upon the throne, self that wants to sit upon the throne, constantly, O oh God, rebels against every effort to displace that pride, that self, O God. Lord, we know that you do not want to destroy us as self, but that self needs to become a servant rather than king. Lord, we pray, therefore, that you would put your divine mirror in front of us, that show us, O Lord, the manner in which pride is living even when we are not aware of it or deny it so that we can no longer deny it, O God. And yet, Lord, we know it is not in our power to do anything about it even though we strive. Will is not sufficient. It must be, O God, your divine power through the Holy Spirit. This we ask, O God, this we ask, O God, that Jesus truly might be Lord and pride in self, a servant. Through Jesus, we ask this. Amen. Amen. Jim, here's is the next one, too. The third one is to stand aside, and that is to die to self. Again, we all could benefit from this prayer, and Jim's going to lead us in this as well. That's standing aside, asking God to help us further die to self. Please stand. Father, we think of the Apostle Paul, who said, I am crucified with Christ. And in his mind's eye, he saw himself superimposed upon the cross of Jesus Christ with our Lord. Oh God, how we acknowledge that that is something as well that every one of us needs, oh God. Death to self. I am crucified with Christ. Henceforth it is not I that liveth, but the life that I live, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. O Lord, we do pray that indeed you would bring about that condition within us and have to do it over and over and over again. As our Lord said, take up the cross daily that you would enable us by your Spirit each day, O God, to take up that cross and consciously, therefore, submit ourselves to you and to the cross of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Lord, whenever 
self is putting self first when really self needs to serve those about us let us see when we're putting convenience and comfort and prosperity above O oh God that which you would call us to be in this world thank you Lord that by the power of your spirit we can know victory in this area victory through defeat we thank you God through Jesus amen Number four is to stand apart. That's the one about coming out from the world and being separate, being in this world but not of this world. Maybe there's a behavior or an attitude or an obsession or an addiction or a sin or a bad friend, uh, and you sense the Holy Spirit is saying it's time to separate from that thing. If so, would you stand? And I've asked Mike to pray for us. Oh, Lord, you instructed us to be in the world but not of the world lord we pray now god we ask you to to show us to lead us to guide us lord to how we should separate and stand apart lord lord it may be areas habit addiction sexual addiction pornography television lord drinking substances prescribed medications non-prescribed meds lord Lord, it could be relationships, Lord, inappropriate relationships, God. Oh, Father God, lead us, show us, Lord. Show us, Lord, that which we should stand apart from. Empower us with your spirit, Lord. We look unto you, Lord. We, We need you, Lord. We are a needy people, Lord, that we need your help to help us to stand apart. Oh, God, thank you, Lord. Show us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Stay up here, though. Uh, the next one is standing alone. Um, I, I know that many of us are in this boat where in some way God has you in this class of testing in your relationships, your full dependence, and allegiance to Christ. So I'll pray for you, uh, but would you stand if... If that's you, you're in a place of standing alone with the Lord. Father, we actually want to thank you for these times uh, where you ask us or drive us to stand alone with you. And uh, we do thank you that you are in truth with us, and yet we also recognize this sense of standing alone and having our identity forged in the furnace uh, with loyalty to Christ alone. So I pray for these, my brothers and sisters who are standing, who are needing that encouragement that this is part of the making of a man and a woman of God. Father, thank you for the young people who are standing as well. Father, we ask that in that place, your deep work would be accomplished and that we would go forth more confident, more strong, more secure, more rooted and grounded in you than we ever thought possible. 
Help these, Lord, to deal with the pain of being in that position. Help us, Lord, if there are relationships where we are standing in order to draw others to Christ, we pray that they would see that strength of spirit and know that it's supernatural, that it's coming from Christ himself. So, Father, do your supernatural work through us and in us, in spite of us, around us, and uh, we thank you for these who are standing alone. Give them strength, Father. Give them a, a militancy and a, a passion to be found standing alone, but standing firm in the faith. We bless them and glorify you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've asked Joel to pray over the sixth one about standing firm. Uh, The illustration we used was those soldiers out on the ice. There's a need for for endurance. Uh, You're facing an adversity, a temptation, a sickness, and you want to stand and be found faithful. Father, we continue to pray for one another. Remember the uh, passage from Proverbs that instructs us, if you falter in time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering uh, towards slaughter. Father, we pray that you will continue to undergird us that we will stand firm despite what winds blow, despite what culture would say, despite what happens in our personal lives, that we would be like the Roman centurion of old who knew that his only duty would be to stand at his post regardless of what came, and that he would... uh, at his post, at times, be asked to give his life. Lord, we are riveted by the image of the 40 on the ice, singing praises to you, asking that they might be worthy to receive a crown one day from you. And so, Father, we again remember Paul's words in Philippians, he that hath begun a good work in you will continue to perfect it, until the day of Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. And Father, as you enable us to stand firm, we pray this one more prayer that one day we will see you face to face and hear from you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray these things and we believe. One more now, uh, and that is the standing front and center, standing front and center. For some, it's time to step up to the plate in a new way, to take responsibility for the gospel and the bride of Christ, and to say, here I am, Lord, use me 